The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. I'd like you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15. We are in a short break from our series in Thessalonians, Living in the Light of Christ's Return. And I thought it would be good for us to take this break for a couple of weeks to be reminded of the message that Paul preached to people that became members of churches that he founded. In Thessalonica, Paul founded a church and the people were united in the truth of the gospel and that changed them from being pagan, lost people without hope and without God to believers that were sanctified, that were made holy and were expectantly awaiting the return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our question is, what is the message that changed these people? And the answer to the question is that it was the message of the cross. It was the convicting power of the Holy Spirit that showed them that Christ died for their sins, that he was buried, and then on the third day he arose from the grave. Now, if you take just a a glance over here at our baptistry, you see that there is a cross. This is an enduring symbol of the death of Jesus Christ. And in the days when the cross was a means of execution, there was no one who would imagine that a cross would quickly become a badge of honor and a sign of hope, an enduring symbol of belief in a man that was charged as a criminal and yet believed to be the savior of the world. Now, as you look on our wall, you see a very cleanly sanitized version of the cross. This one was finally crafted by one of our members a few years ago. It was painted white to match the decor of the church. And I'm sure that I can honestly tell you that there is no one who would want a used Roman cross as a decoration for a house of worship. The cross was a horrible sign. It wasn't a hopeful one. The death of the cross was for the worst of criminals. It was the place for those that were guilty of sedition and murder. Those men that hung with Christ on that day on either side of him were murderers. They were seditionists. The cross was brutal. It was unmerciful. No one made heroes of those who died on crosses. And so crowds would gather to watch executions and they would mock the guilty that died, hoping that they would add just a little bit more misery if they could. And this is the scene at the cross when Jesus died. We can read it in our text in Mark chapter 15. I begin with verse number 16. And the soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium, and they called together the whole band. And they clothed him with purple and plaited a crown of thorns and put it about his head and began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him on the head with a reed and did spit upon him, and bowing their knees, worshipped him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple from him, And put his own clothes on him and led him out to crucify him. And they compel one Simon, a Cyrenian, who passing by, coming out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, 
to bear his cross. And they bring him unto the place Golgotha, which is being interpreted the place of a skull. And they gave him to drink wine mingled with myrrh, but he received it not. And when they had crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots upon them, what every man should take. And it was the third hour, and they crucified him. And the superscription of his accusation was written over, the king of the Jews. And with him they crucified two thieves, the one on his right hand and the other on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled, which said, he was numbered with the transgressors. And they that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself and come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests, mocking, said among themselves with the scribes, He saved others, himself he cannot save. Let Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross, that we may see and believe. And they that were crucified with him reviled him. And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I wanted us to return to the cross for these two messages, to be reminded of the suffering of Christ and how through his death we are reconciled to God. We are gathered here this morning as members of the Lord's Church, of the Church of Jesus Christ. We enjoy fellowship with one another. We are blessed that we are here. We're happy to be in this place in God's presence. And we are just, I hope, consumed with the joys of worship and the hope that we have in Christ of our eternal life. What is it that made us the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? I mean, what is it, what is that reason that we're here today? Paul states it very succinctly in Ephesians chapter 5 when he wrote that Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And, and in your Bible, you could just underline that phrase, he gave himself for it. How did he give himself for it? And the answer is he gave his life on the cross. And that was a supreme act of unselfish love for those that he died to save. And so before we could have this church today, before we could have this service that we enjoyed this morning, there had to be a cross. There had to be a cross before you and I could be forgiven of our sins and before we could be made holy and righteous before God. There was a cross before we could be justified from the penalty of our sins. And it was by this act of crucifixion that the justice of God was satisfied. Jesus Christ paid the full penalty of our sins to satisfy the wrath of God against us. Now, the cross was a horrible place for any criminal. But we can never imagine how much worse it was for Jesus Peter wrote, the just suffered for the unjust that he might bring us to God. I want you to think about that for just a minute. The just suffered for the unjust. We know that there isn't anyone who is just but God. And so when we think of Jesus Christ, he was just, he was God. He himself was God and he was just because he kept all of God's laws perfectly. There was no sin in him. 
He couldn't be sinful because he was as the Father is. He and the Father are one. And the scripture says that God is light and there is no darkness in him. Sin can't touch the Father. And sin can't touch the eternal Son. That is until the incarnation. God had to become human, not to commit sin, but to be touched with our sins and to take them to the cross. Now, in our first message, which I'll review with you for just a moment here, we talked, first of all, about the rejection of our Lord. We haven't time to review all of that sermon, but I would suggest if you weren't here that you could listen to it. Uh, it's available on our website. You could ask for a copy, and we would be happy to give you a CD. And this is what we discussed in that first message, what we learned from the cross. There were four things that we're seeking to find out, and we'll get to all four of those before we're finished today. But first we talked about how the cross has something to say about the person who hung there. Then secondly, it says something about the people who put him there. Then it says something about the God who allowed him to be there. And then lastly, it says something about why he was there. So in that last message, our purpose was to investigate what happened to the person who hung on the cross. And what happened to him was rejection. What happened to him is summed up most powerfully in the words of verse number 34. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? In the narrative that we've read, it tells us that the crowd rejected him. They jeered him. They mocked him. They made fun of him. They said, come down from the cross. If you are who you say you are, you saved others. You can't save yourself. Come down if you can, and then we will believe. <laughs> but we know that's upside down, don't we? Because if Christ had come down from the cross, they wouldn't have believed. And neither would anyone in this world believe that he is the Savior. He must die, he must be buried, he must arise from the grave to satisfy God and to save our souls. But the crowd's rejection of him, that doesn't even rise a micrometer on the scale of rejection because the worst of all rejection was when Jesus was rejected by the Father. There was nothing that was done to him that caused him to cry out, but this, this knowledge that God had turned his back on him, had rejected him, he suffered through all the beating, he, he took that pain of the crown of thorns that was pressed into his scalp, he took the hammering of the nails into his hands and into his feet, and through all of that, Jesus never said a word. But in that moment... When the wrath of God was unleashed upon him in that suffering and in that moment, it was so intense that he called out, not Father, but my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus knew the why. It was a rhetorical question. He knew the answer because it was scriptural. He knew because this saying from the cross was a quotation from ten centuries earlier when David wrote the 22nd Psalm. David wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. And might I remind you of this, that when those words were written, Christ was still in heaven. He was in heaven. He was one with the Father. He was in perfect communion with the Father and with the Spirit. And there was agreement in the Trinity that the Son would come to this earth, that He would become a man, and yes, that He would die the cruel death 
of the cross. Jesus knew why. Because it was scriptural. In our last message, we also learned that it was spiritual. It was agony of the soul that was most intense. God's people can take much physical suffering because they know that God is with them. They remain strong in the hope of the Spirit. But that wasn't true of Jesus. The Father turned his back on him. And in that agony and that intense suffering, the Father wasn't with him. There was no comfort that came on high when Jesus was made sin for us. We saw that the rejection was substantial. I know it's not proper to speak of the history of God because God doesn't have a history. He is eternal. He is eternally in the present. But if I could speak in terms that we can understand, never in time or in eternity past, never in history had there been any separation in the Godhead. And it was substantial because this is something that never happened before. It couldn't happen. Unless by a deliberate act of the Godhead, this was made to happen. So never in time or or eternity, no, no one had ever seen this, and neither shall anyone see it again. The cross is a one-time event for all time and eternity. We learned that the rejection was strange. Why would God put his son to death when at the beginning of his ministry, it was God the Father who said, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. God does not treat perfect servants this way. And yet, to save us, a strange method was used. Then fifthly, we saw that the rejection was severe. Its result was that the perfect Son of God had the worst put on him. And what was the worst? Is it that torture? Is it the the mocking? Was it being made fun of? No. The worst was that the slime of sin and the pit of hell was put on the perfect Son of God. If I could put it to you this way, sin is like acid on the skin to God. He can't be touched with it. But here is Jesus Christ, not touched with it, but immersed in all of our filth when he drank those bitter dregs in the cup. Then we also learned that the rejection was because of substitution. There Christ was dying in our place. And I will say that we firmly believe in this we believe in penal substitution and it was again as the scripture says the just dying for the unjust substitution means that Christ was crucified on a cross that belonged to us that we should have died there we should have suffered the death of hell but Jesus Christ took our place and so that's the way that the cross speaks of the one who died there it's these words scriptural spiritual substantial strange Severe and substitution. Now I'd like us to move on a little bit further in our study of this passage to the second observation. The cross does speak of the one who hung there. And then next it speaks of the people who put him there. Who are the people that put Jesus on the cross? Well I think that we would be happy to blame the chief priests and the scribes. We would be happy to pin it on Pilate who permitted the death, even though he knew that Roman justice was not served by killing an innocent man. And we would surely sit here and we'd like to blame everyone, anyone that we can, but those that are truly guilty. 
And I think that as we, as we look at this and consider our own lives and what we have done and the way that we have lived and who we are, we have to say that every person in this room is guilty of the body and the blood and the shedding and the agony and the torture of Jesus Christ on the cross. We are responsible because it is our sins that he went to the cross to die for. And so what does that say about us? Not what does it say about those we've just read in Mark 15. What does it say about us? And I think that it says something about us. It, it talks about the repulsiveness of our sin. That's number two, the repulsiveness of our sin. The cross shows just how repulsive our sins are in the sight of God. Religion has always been about goodness. Hasn't it? Hasn't it always been that way? It's always about goodness. No matter what religion that you investigate, it's all about how good that people can be. And there is none but true Christianity that does not allow for any goodness in us. Oh, if you ask, most people believe people are basically good. Some just need to be picked up. Some just need to be polished off a little bit and you can find the goodness. None of us are really all that bad. If we can just be shined up a little bit, then our goodness will always shine through. But that's not the story that we hear from the cross. If you want to know how sick you are, all that you really need to do is look and see what the doctor prescribes to cure you. If, if the doctor says to you, well, take a couple of aspirins and come and see me in the morning then you know that you're not too sick. If he says, well, I think you need surgery, you know it's a little bit worse. When he, when he says, I think this is going to take radiation and chemotherapy, then you know you're in serious trouble. Now, I want you to take a long look at the cure for sin, and you'll see how bad sin really is. The cure for sin was the cross. That's the remedy. All the horrible things of a... Roman crucifixion and then the worst of the agony and the separation of Christ from his father, the wrath of God poured out on the perfect son of God. That's what we're talking about. That's the remedy for our sin. If you want to know how big a crime you've committed, you look at the punishment that the judge gives. If he gives you a slap on the wrist and says, I'm going to let you, let you off with a warning, or if he says, pay a $25 fine, then you know the offense is not that great. But if the sentence calls for execution, that's something else. If the sentence says you must die, you pay the ultimate penalty. Now you think about that and you think about sin and a man who is put to an agonizing death for the sins of all who believe. And what if that man put to death is a perfect man? What if he is the son of God? That's how bad that sin is. We see truly at the cross that the wages of sin is death. And that's what Jesus went through. And if you'll permit me to take you back to the Thessalonians, this is what Paul wrote in the first chapter of the second letter. He spoke of what will happen to the wicked because of their sin. He says in 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 9, Who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. That's what the punishment for sin means. It means to be shut out. It means to be separated forever from God. Hell is a fiery place where God turns his back forever. And there was a time when God turned his back on sin. We find it right here in our text in Mark 15. It was when God turned his back on his own son. 
And do you know what that is? For Jesus, that was hell. For us, that was hell. Jesus, being the just God, the infinite one, was able to suffer in a finite period. What we would have to suffer in an infinite period of time. Jesus truly experienced hell for all who trust in him. It was the combination of all the sins, the penalty for all the sins of those who would believe. Each of those sins requires a level of punishment that is infinite. And it's because Jesus bore our sins that the thrice holy God could not even look on him when he suffered in darkness on that day. Now, the real explanation of Calvary is that God could do no less than to judge sin wherever he found it. And on this day, he found it on his own son, Jesus Christ. And friends, that speaks a world to us about the repulsiveness of sin. And it tells us that we ought not to ever think that we're good. We're not good people. Don't ever think that without Christ that you could be good. You're worse than your worst imagination could ever tell you. Don't think that there's any such thing as a white lie. Don't ever think that cursing and bitterness and hatred and anger are insignificant. It's your sins and mine. All of those things that we excuse ourselves for and say, well, I'm not really all that bad. I haven't really done that many bad things. And yet it was those sins that put Jesus Christ on the cross. God didn't forget any of them. All of them had to be paid for at the cross. So never think, oh, I just do little things that don't matter. Yes, they do matter. They matter to the eternal Son of God because He died on the cross for them. God does not excuse sin. And so we put all of those sins on Christ. Each of them that we think of nothing, think nothing of, caused the cruelty of the cross. God crucified him. He turned his back on him because sin was so repulsive that God would not let his own son escape when sin was transferred to him. So this is what the cross says about you and me. God would be just never, never to send Jesus into this world to die for us. And doesn't that also speak something about God? Doesn't that tell us something about who God is? The cross speaks of the person who was put there. It speaks of the people that put him there. The character of those people. And then it also speaks something to us about God. Thirdly, the cross speaks to us about the righteousness of our God. The rejection of our Lord. The repulsiveness of our sin. The righteousness of our God. And God's righteousness was satisfied. God's holiness was vindicated. In the cross, we see God's inflexible justice. There we see God's absolute righteousness. The cross speaks to us about our God, and it tells us that God hates sin. The cross speaks to us and tells us that you will not have a relationship with God and also have a relationship with sin. If the righteousness of God says that his very own son had to die when sin was found on him, what do you think it means when sin is found in you? How are you going to escape when the perfect man didn't escape? And so the question is, what are you going to do about sin? What will you do with sin that's in your life? Now, if at the cross we see the repulsiveness of sin and we see how righteous that God is, what is that knowledge going to do to you? 
What are you going to think about when you think about what you've done, about your sins? And what I'm saying here is not just some academic theology that matters to people only in seminaries. This concerns every person in the room today, and there needs to be a practical application of this question. What are we going to do with sin? Well, let's suppose for just a moment that, that your brother was murdered. Some, some evil man come and stabbed him in the heart with a knife. Let's suppose that happened. And can you imagine that what you would do is to take that knife and you would ask the police for it after they're finished with it, that you would take that knife and you would shine it up and you would put it on the mantle and then you would ask people to come by and look at it and to admire it. Would you ask them to come and look at this, at this knife that murdered your brother? Or would you become buddies with the one that committed the murder? Would you become friends with that person? And this is what I'm saying to you is that sin murdered Jesus. Sin put Jesus on the cross. Your sins and mine. And so what are we going to do with sin? Are we going to keep on with it? We keep doing it? How long are we going to be buddies with that thing that put Jesus on the cross? And how long will people in the church or elsewhere, people out there, how long will they go about flaunting their sin? This is what I do. This is what I am. It's all about me. This is what I can do. And you say, no, no, not that this is my brother's death, but sin is my death. This is the very thing that kills me. How, how intelligent, if you could put it that way, would it be to be buddies with sin and say, well, I'll just keep on doing it. And it's sin that nailed Jesus Christ to the cross. Friends, we're talking about some very serious business. Sin causes death. We're talking about the repulsiveness of sin. We're talking about the righteousness of God. And so the cross speaks of very serious matters. We see the dreadful anger of a righteous, sin-hating God that was poured out on Jesus. This is the God that allowed Jesus to go to the cross. And that brings me to this last thought. What is the reason that Christ was there? What does the cross say about why he was there? Number four on your listening sheet is the reality of God's hell. The reality of God's hell. You heard me right when I said it. It is God's hell. Oh, I know sometimes we refer to it as the devil's hell. But that's only because hell will also hold the devil and all of his demons for eternity. Jesus said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And did you know that is the cry of every lost soul for all eternity? So you don't have to wonder about the answer to that question, why have you forsaken me, any more than Jesus did. He didn't wonder why God forsook him. This is all planned from eternity past. It was written with pen and ink on scrolls that became the holy word of God. And friends, those very same scriptures tell us what happens to those who do not deal with sin. Hell is God's place where he inflicts punishment for sin. And and I know this as I stand here and speak to you today that hell is not a popular topic. Hell is not popular in churches today. And I would venture to say that nine out of ten churches in our area, you will not hear anyone mention hell on a Sunday in a back room, much less in the pulpit. They're not going to talk about hell. But how can you talk about the cross unless you talk about hell? The cross has to be framed with a reason for its necessity. God punished Christ for sin in order to deliver us from something, didn't he? 
Do you think that God would turn His back on His own Son and allow Him to suffer the cruelty of the cross if there was not a real hell that we're being delivered from? Why this severity of punishment if there is no consequence for our sin? God couldn't put... God couldn't be just and put sins on Christ if the punishment's not equal to the crime. In fact, this is the basis of God's law. This is called lex talionis, the law of retribution, an eye for an eye. The law requires equal retribution, and the repulsiveness of our sin required an equal response in God. And the equal response is that our sins are so bad that Jesus had to die. So you don't have to wonder why there's a hell, not if you understand how awful our sin is. Do you understand this is the type of sermon that was thundered from pulpits all across our country when thousands were turned from sin to Christ in the Great Awakening? The sermons were so hot then that people could feel the fires of hell. This is a message that thundered from Puritan pulpits when they went deep into the theology of the cross to answer questions such as this, Why, God, have you forsaken me? This is the same message that we read in Romans 1.18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. This is the message of Jesus Christ when he said that the wicked will be cast into outer darkness where there is weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Oh, but you say, I don't want to hear about hell. I don't want to hear a hell, fire, and brimstone sermon. Do you know why you need to hear one of those every now and then? Because there is a hell. And because there's fire. And because there is brimstone. TV preacher says, no, we're not going to talk about that. We want to keep the message positive. We don't want people to think about sin and death and hell. There's just too much negativity in preaching. And say so they don't preach about hell. And I'll tell you, friends, that means they have no business speaking of the cross. So take down the cross over the baptistry. Take off all of your necklace crosses. Take off all the earring crosses. Never speak of the cross if you don't know what it's for. I mean, what right do you have to speak the name of Jesus if you don't respect his gospel? So you say you don't want to think about it? Well, then what do you think Christ was thinking about when they spat on him and when they beat him with whips? What do you think that he was thinking about when they pushed a crown of long thorns into his head? What was he thinking about when they drove nails into his hands and his feet? I can tell you what he was thinking of. He was thinking of sin and hell and the fact that each of us has committed the ultimate crime against God. He was thinking of the eternal hell that he must save believers from. The cross speaks of the righteousness of God that must be satisfied. And either Christ must do it by giving himself for us to die on the cross or we must be thrown into hell to be punished forever. Oh, hear about hell. Think about hell. This might seem odd to you, but there is no salvation if there is no hell. There is no justice in God sending Christ to the cross if there is no hell. There is no need of a Savior if there is no hell. There is no need of the Bible if there is no hell. There is no need of the church if there is no hell. And if your church doesn't preach about hell, you don't need that church. Just stay at home. Join the Kiwanis. Join the Sierra Club. They'll save you as much as Christ will if there is no hell. You can't 
speak of the cross without seeing the rejection of the person who died there. You can't speak of the cross without seeing the repulsiveness of our sin that put him there. You can't speak of the cross without the righteousness of God and you can't speak of it without the reality of hell. And so before you can get to salvation, before you can get to a resurrection, before you can get to victory over the grave, before you can get to the church, you must first go to the cross. You've got to go to the central factor of Christianity that is essential before anything good happens to you. Anything that takes place that is good for you takes place only because of the cross. In fact, the incarnation, Christ becoming human, Christ born of a virgin, Christ in his public ministry, all of that's useless without the cross. So don't ever listen to a preacher who pretends to know anything about the suffering of Christ unless he preaches the equivalency of the suffering. The cross means nothing if sin and hell are not real and the righteousness of God is not satisfied. Jesus died on the cross because of sin and hell. But let me remind you of this. We never want to leave Jesus on the cross. We never want to leave Jesus on the cross or in the tomb. And so as you look at this cross over here in our church, there is no crucifix because we don't leave Jesus on the cross. The cross in this church is empty just as the tomb is empty. Jesus died for sin on the cross, but he was taken down from the cross and he was put in a tomb. And then the full approval of God and the satisfaction that was made on the cross because of that father, the father raised him from the dead. Now going back to the Old Testament, to the Psalms, we read, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Christ's body could not corrupt on a cross, which it would do if it hung there forever. It doesn't corrupt in the grave because full victory over sin and death was not won until he came out of the tomb. And do you know what that says? Christ cried out from the cross. When he cried out, he said more than this. He said more than, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because then Jesus reached the end of that forsakenness. He paid the full penalty for sin and then he said, it is finished. And when he said it was finished, he didn't say, God, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. At that moment, he gave up his life and then his spirit was reunited with the Father. The spiritual reunion was reestablished. His body would be in the grave for three days, but spiritually Christ was with the Father one with the Father again. Sin was no longer on him because the penalty for sin was fully paid. Sin is taken away forever. And friends, that's what happens to the sins of all who believe. Because of the cross and because of your belief in what Jesus did there, you will never cry out to God, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because God promised, I will never forsake you. I will never leave you. The cross speaks to us. There is no church before the cross. Paul could not start a single church without the cross. You have no victory in your life without the cross. And so today you must let that cross speak to you. Without the cross, all is lost.
So you see the rejection, you see the repulsiveness, you see righteousness, you see the reality. Believe that it was Jesus Christ who satisfied God for your sin. All of that's true. All of that's true. And whether you believe it, hell is also true. And hell is your reality if you refuse what Jesus did on the cross. Did you know there's nothing as shameful and as woeful for a person to sit and listen to a message like this and hear about the cross and then never believe that it matters? Hell is hotter for those who hear and don't believe. Paul started churches with the message of the cross and he wrote, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. I'm happy that you came to church today, that you heard the message, but I'll tell you I'll be happier if you leave today having believed the message in your heart. You'll not escape the condemnation of the cross if you don't believe. Jesus didn't. He didn't escape, not when sin was on him. And surely you will not escape as long as sin is on you. So remember how important the cross was to Paul's theology. It was the cross that drove him. This is what sent him to all these places in the Roman Empire and read about all the suffering and persecutions and everything that Paul went through for the cause of Christ and the cross. And he says in Galatians 6, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. That is so important. Have you been crucified to the world? Are you crucified to your sins? How will you do that? The answer is repentance from sin and faith in Jesus Christ and in the cross on which he died. The scripture says, but what saith it, the word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach, that if thou shalt confess With thy mouth, the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth in him shall not be ashamed. May it never be that anyone in this room cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I pray the cross of Christ would speak every word of this message to your heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you thanking you for the message of the cross. It was on the cross that you satisfied the wrath of God for our sins. Lord, there's no way that we can escape who we are and what we've done, all of our past, what we are in the present, and what we will be in the future means no fellowship with God without Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that you'd speak to some soul today and open their hearts to the gospel. Help them to understand how vile and wicked we truly are and how we need Jesus to die on that cross for us. Believe it. Receive it. And then we can have the gift of eternal life. Lord, we pray for Christians who have heard this message. And may we be reminded that though we are saved... We still have sin in us. Those sins are paid for, and we're thankful for that. We'll never come in condemnation because of the sins that we commit after believing in Jesus Christ. There is no condemnation, no judgment for us. But help us to understand, Lord, that our fellowship is strained 
with God because of sin. Our ability to hear from God is strained because of our sin. Our happiness in this life and the feeling that we are in touch with God and know that God is with us every day can be hampered by our sin. Lord, help us to confess those and to realize, as the Apostle John wrote, that you are faithful and just to forgive us all of our sins and you will restore us to fellowship with you. Lord, we pray for our people today. We pray for the lost. We pray for the saved. May we all remember the message of the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church. 6298 Country Club Drive, Rohnert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.